Hi everyone, I'm Marco. I'm Derek. And uh, thanks for tuning in to the Page One podcast where we talk to writers of all kinds about the writing process and their work and how they got their break in the industry. Hope you've had a good week. I've had a pretty good week. We've had some interesting fan interaction this week. Apparently one of us has a really nice voice. Oh yeah, that's right. After some fan feedback. I enjoyed that. I, I think we all know who that was. I, I think I know that too, Marco. <laughs> That was going for deep and sexy. All right, okay. Is that what that was? Um, who's on the podcast this week? This week we chat with Jim Zub, who is a comic book writer, writes for Marvel, does Avengers, Black Panther, uh, has his own line with Image, Image yeah. D&D He's stuff. He's had a couple of series with Image, which is his own characters. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he writes Dungeons and Dragons comics, but also Dungeons and Dragons adventure books. Um, he actually talks to us a lot about how Dungeons, playing Dungeons and Dragons as a kid helped him form that sort of storytelling mm-hmm. process. Um, so there's a lot there, even if you're not into comics or graphic novels. I think it's a really interesting episode talking about story structure and character development, especially yeah. the difference between writing your own, creating your own characters and working with characters that are already established and owned by someone else. Um, So we hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back at the end of the podcast to chat a bit more. See you later. So did you always want to be a writer from when you were small? Um, I didn't know I wanted to be a writer. I was fascinated by storytelling, you know, and I think that came out in different ways. Uh, my start in the industry was actually uh, animation. So I started working as an animator before I started working in comics and before I started specifically writing comics. Mm-hmm. And I think having that art background has been um, really valuable in a lot of ways because it gives you an understanding of what's happening on the other side of the, you know, the whole pipeline. Mm-hmm. But did you, when you were a kid, were you always creating stories, whether actually formally writing them or even when you were just playing with your toys and stuff? Was it always the storytelling that you were drawn to? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my um, my brother and I really kind of bonded over Dungeons and Dragons when I was like eight to ten years old. And that was really opened up for me this idea of storytelling and and this concept of making your own stories and collaborating on them as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that that has served me, you know, really well in a lot of ways because it teaches you to be, it's, there's an improv quality to it because mm-hmm. you're obviously making stuff on the fly, but you're also building, you're building out worlds, you're building characters. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, totally. And how did it, how did that transition from that then into, well, first animation and then, eventually into comics right so i started working in animation you know just doing production work in in animation after i finished school and um it was really fascinating to get dig into the process of animation but you know as a starting animator you're doing a lot of grunt work you're essentially you know producing someone else's stories Mm -hmm. and so it was a little bit 
it was something where I just wanted to have more control of that creative process. And comparatively speaking, you know, animation is obviously a very labor intensive, you know, art form. And so are comics, but just producing a few seconds of animation can take, you know, weeks or months. Yeah. And so comics was a kind of a faster way to work. I could get my ideas down and I could put them out in, um, in a much more, uh, cohesive and, and quick form. And so for me, when I, I noticed that, um, I'd grown up reading comics. I was a huge fan. I went through multiple phases of comic reading, both, you know, superhero stuff and manga and, mm. um, web comics I would read online. And so when I kind of hit this creative wall where I wanted to do my own stuff, I started making my own comic because it was a way I could literally do the the writing and the art and, and put it all together. And so that was like 2001. I finally kind of started my own comic online, did that for a couple of years. And over the course of that, started to find kind of the comic making community, but also to appreciate kind of the the medium and what was involved with it mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, um, how it how much control you can have over the story when you're going panel to panel and the interplay of, of visuals with, you know, the text that, that comics provides. So once you had, you'd kind of reached that moment when you thought, actually comics is what I, I want to do. And, and you, and you started to work on, on, on your own stuff. How did you take it from, from that point? How did you manage to break in? How did you, did you have an agent or did you, did you share it with anyone? No, so most of comics, particularly in North America, is a lot of do-it-yourself kind of stuff. There isn't a lot of agents, you know. There's a little more of that now with kind of graphic novels and some of the larger mainline book publishers getting involved in that space. Mm -hmm. But most of it is very kind of scrappy. And the advantage of comics is that there are so many conventions. You can literally get yourself an artist alley table at many shows and just kind of show up with your stuff or you can put material online and people can discover it. Mm -hmm. And the advantage I had was that in 2001, there weren't a ton of people doing web comics. And even if there were, a lot of them weren't putting out consistent stuff or, yeah. you know, everyone was kind of figuring it out. The internet itself felt so kind of new. Yeah. And so it was just a fascinating kind of time to be building and trying stuff out. I, and and so I, I worked on my own comic, you know, and then through that made contacts in the business, other people who were making their own web comics or people who were looking at these kind of digital platforms and we started commiserating first online and then in person at conventions. Mm-hmm. And did you, was your first comic, because you're also, I think, uh, an illustrator as well as uh, right. a writer. So was your first comic one that was sort of totally done by yourself uh, without right. collaboration? Yeah, my very first one was done by myself, but it would be years before I would kind of break through to a larger, you know, the webcomic did relatively well at that time. But then I got distracted with other work stuff and life stuff, and I kind of got pulled all over the place for a different, you know, thing. Life happened, yeah, and, yeah. and I still didn't know that I would be able to make a go of it, you know, with comics itself. And so um, it wasn't until quite a few years later that uh, the, I, the bug really bit me again, and I started collaborating with other people to make comics. My breakout was honestly like 2009, 2010. Mm-hmm. I got uh, you know a few back-to-back uh, comic projects that I put out there, and they were 
of higher quality and they were consistent and people started to take notice of that stuff. So even though I had been working at a studio for both animation and then I worked at studios for illustration, this was kind of the first time people saw me as a writer and they saw me as a story kind of builder. And, and that kind of changed that, that changing perception was really crucial to kind of pushing, you know, both my confidence higher, but also giving people a clear idea of the kinds of stories I, I was capable of. And so that book was called Skull Kickers, and it was like a fantasy comedy series that I did for several years, uh, collaborating with Edwin Huang and Chris Stevens and Misty Coates, and we published that through Image. And uh, it was a big, uh, big step forward for me. And the Image stuff, that's, that's quite an interesting way in for a lot of people who, who want to break into the industry because you still own your own line, don't you? If you go, go with that's Image, right. you, you still will have all, all the copyright and stuff. And right. was, was it hard getting in with Image or was it, was it all right? Um, well, the advantage was that I had been going to conventions for quite a few years. And so I had met some of those people and they had seen the work that we were putting together. Um, I got invited to do a story for one of their anthologies and that really kind of turned their heads because the artist that I was working with on that, his stuff was just incredible quality. And they were like, wait, you know, if you guys want to do more stuff, you should, you know, drop us a line. And so that was something where we had that tether, that kind of springboard, and we were able to build on it from there. I've always wondered about about the convention stuff because we've heard from a few folks that go into these things is a really good way to network. And I have to be honest, we've, we've chatted about it in in the past and the thought of going as a complete unknown going to these yeah. things with, the, with with like a table and and hoping folk will want to talk to you it seems quite scary especially yeah i think it's especially a, it's maybe a british thing <laughs> we're more reserved about the about putting ourselves out there maybe than, imagine sure. six hours yeah. no one turns up to talk to you at all and you go yeah. home that's it yeah i mean part of it is about meeting the public and part of it is about the kind of commiserating with other people in the business. And you can do that online or you can do that in person even better if you can do both. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think it's really valuable. It's valuable to, to build community. It's valuable to, to, you know, no one's going to discover you if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't put the material in front of people, you know, for better or for worse. And, and you have to be honest about the fact that you're just starting out. You have to be honest about the fact that you haven't done this before. And you also have to be honest about the quality, you know, of what you are putting out there because you're going to be compared to the other stuff, you know, that people are seeing at the show. But there's something to be said for literally being there and being seen and, and attempting. And I think quite a few people appreciate that. They appreciate that, you know, uh, confident sort of step forward. And, and that doesn't mean you're going to make a ton of money. And that doesn't mean that no. instant success is right around the corner. You're going to learn a lot. You know, I talk a lot about the writing process, the pitching process, conventions, economics, all kinds of stuff on my website. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much someone tells you how it's going to work or their experiences, everyone's going to have a slightly different one. Everyone's going to have, uh, you know, their own opportunities and their own kind of changes as, as they move through their careers. And so I can tell you, Hey, this is how it worked for me, or this is, what has been working for me, but you're going to find your own kind of path. And there will probably be quite a bit of crossover because there's 
a lot of similarities when I talk to people in their journeys about how they got their start and what they've done and, you know, the kinds of opportunities that slowly but surely built them up. But yours is still going to be relatively unique to you in the grand scheme of things. And, and conventions, I mean, you, you just told us before we started recording that you're just back from New York Comic Con. Yeah, that's um, why my voice sounds so ragged, <laughs> talking for days straight, you know, trying to, uh, both on the show floor where it gets pretty loud, and then after hours, you know, there's we jokingly call it the convention after the convention. Right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and so that's still an important part of working in your industry, clearly, is going to these things. I think it's true of any creative industry. I don't, I, you know, I, I'm sure if you talk to, you know, people in theater, if you talk to people in any kind of art, you know, they're going to tell you music, theater, anything. They're going to tell you, you've got to be seen. You got to put yourself out there. You've got to, you know, make stuff yeah. and, and find those commonalities. And so you, you have the success with skull kickers and image. But um, right. more recently, you've you've uh, also been able to sort of transition and work for the bigger companies like Marvel and IDW and things like that. How did right, that come right. about? I mean, it's sort of fascinating because, you know, Image is a major publisher. Depending on the time, they're arguably the number three mm-hmm. or number four publisher of comics. But because of their nature as independent and um, creator-owned, I think they they sort of are in a di- bit of a different category compared to the commercial mm-hmm. stuff. Um, again, it's one of those things of putting yourself out there. So I put together, you know, I would whenever you're at these shows, you're seeing editors, you're engaging with them, they're coming around to Artist Alley, or they're hearing about you through other people, and you know. Uh, the term that they use for it is casting. It's almost like casting for a movie. Mm-hmm. You, when you're putting work out there, you are essentially auditioning. You know, if yeah. you do a bunch of, and it's true of anything, if you if you make a bunch of horror movies, people aren't going to imagine you for a soft romantic comedy. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I did a bunch of slam bam fantasy comedy. And I got one of my first commercial gigs was, hey, do you want to do some sword and sorcery stuff? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. That's the shortest line between two points. You know what I mean? Um, And so if you want that kind of work, if you want people to see you a particular way, editors are looking what you're showing them, what you do unfettered on your own time. And then they're saying, oh, if I like that, that's what they can do for us. You know? And so that's part of the kind of process is figuring out, okay, like I didn't intend, I joke around that, Skull Kickers was my love letter to Dungeons and Dragons and Conan the Barbarian, and now I work on Dungeons and Dragons and Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's true, like that's exactly what ended up happening. I didn't intend for it to be such a clear one to one, but it was really obvious to those publishers that I was passionate about those kinds of stories and pulp and fantasy, and that they could trust me with those properties, and I would you know hopefully do right by them. Mm-hmm. And and how is it when you shift from a comic line that you've had complete creative control over to something where you're kind of playing with the toys and someone else's sandbox or whatever the right. phrase is? You know, I, I take it there's more restrictions on what you can do, but is, is it harder or is it easier almost to come up with ideas for stories? It's different. Like, I don't think it's better or worse. It's just a different kind of working environment. You know, having the sandbox in place, the established characters or the established worlds, 
um, gives you, you're not going in empty. So you have to define some of that stuff for yourself or figure out what you can do within the scope of that established world or character or space and try and keep some of your own voice in that process that you're not going to completely subsume yourself within it, you know, because they're hiring you to be you as well. Ideally, if, if they wanted you to be someone else, well, they'd probably hire that person. Uh Yeah. So, you know, it's a weird thing where you're like, I, I want to do right by Robert E. Howard but I've also got to be Jim Zub, you know, and hopefully find some middle ground and balance that it feels right. But I can bring something a little bit new into the mix. And I suppose that's true because I think we've all read, you know, hundreds of different Avengers stories. But there's all you can always tell in the in the good ones when the author's voice or their spin in it come through with it, it's like a Whedon or a Bendis that their style of dialogue or action or whatever it's it's like an imprint on that, and it's interesting seeing someone's take on the characters that everyone knows and loves and has read hundreds yeah, of com- already. coming in from a different angle yeah you know and showing people the possibilities that you know what you can bring to it that maybe wasn't there before or an interesting combination of elements that you've recognized in the work that maybe wasn't as clear before and that's kind of an interesting you know challenge to to be able to do to say i'm not just gonna do what's been done yeah. i'm gonna do this kind of my way and hopefully you'll enjoy it and appreciate it it won't turn you off it'll it'll enhance your love of what's already there you know and and how much freedom do you actually get to to tell the stories in these universes that that aren't aren't yours yeah it's completely different like every project every editor every publisher and combination you know and even under the same editor i'll have different restrictions depending on the project like there's somewhere the publisher doesn't have a clear idea in mind and they're looking to you to provide that structure and if you do so they'll kind of and they like it they'll let you run wild and there's other ones where they come to you with kind of a clear set and a mandate we need to get the story to hear by the end of it are you the right person to carry it mm-hmm. there? And you're like, oh, I've got a way to do that. That'll be fun. You know, here's my take on it based on your restriction. And and do you, do you presumably you might you might even in that scenario you might come up with an idea and they might say, well, you can't do that with that character because in these other comics he he needs to be doing this or that right, or whatever. Right. So yeah, so it, yeah, it, sometimes it's timing. It's a lot of problem solving. Mm-hmm. Like you want to bend the thing this way and someone else needs it to be over there Mm -hmm. and so you're trying to find a way to please both but not you know sell out the integrity of your story idea or or you know is there a way that that everyone can walk away and feel good Mm -hmm. and and that we're all supporting each other particularly something like the marvel universe that's got you know shared continuity between books as much as possible you know you're, you're trying to be a good steward while equally trying to be, you know, creatively fulfilled. And it's complicated. Like, uh, you know, as much as people wish there was an easy answer or an easy formula, you know, every project I work on is different in how you work with the artist and what their expectations are, what the deadlines are. You know, it's like a constantly moving target. And the people who are able to thrive in that environment are ones who can be kind of fleet of foot, that they're able to figure out, okay, this editor doesn't like to work this way. I need to adjust my expectations. Or this artist needs to – they're handheld or this artist needs to run wild. Mm -hmm. 
can I work with that, you know, uh, with that kind of challenge in front of me, Mm -hmm. the more you're able to show that you can kind of roll with the weirdness or, or make your mark despite all the, the limitations, you know, the more opportunities that can come your way. Yeah, totally. For something like, uh, you know, if you're working on the Avengers or something, and there is a bigger plan, do Marvel sort of get their writers together or do they email or something and say, right, look, we're going to work out this this larger arc now with you right. all here and then yeah, yeah. let you go you off. Know, exactly. So for something like uh, Avengers No Surrender, which we did like a weekly release we did it. We built it almost a year in advance right. and we actually went to the Marvel offices and we all sat around and did a big story summit and built this thing from the ground up. You know, you're not always able to do that in person. Sometimes it's, it's conference calls or, mm-hmm. or Skype or, or whatever, yeah. you know, you can do. And sometimes it's a very formalized process and you're emailing back and forth. And other times I'm just calling people up and being like, Hey, I noticed this thing it might end up invading your story. Can we touch base beforehand? So mm-hmm. I know it's not going to be an issue later. So Marvel will send us, for example, um, advanced PDFs of books as they're sent to press. So we have about an extra month of seeing what else is coming out there. And so it's a way to also see synergies where you're like, Oh wait, this is happening over in this title. I could probably mention something about that in mine, you know? And when you work on these kind of marvel um compared to your image stuff um, obviously you've you're not working as someone who's having to work with a with an with an artist is it, how do you find the collaboration part of it comparing with when you did it all yourself well you know again it's it's literally project by project it can be very different so sometimes it's really really straightforward you know and and the artist and you have got a very similar sensibility and you're like oh this is going to be a cinch we're all on the same page and other times you need to send lots and lots of reference or you need to be very specific about what is happening and why in this particular part of the story, you know, other times the artist is coming in and they're just exempt, you know, they're, they're enhancing every single aspect of what you wrote and bringing extra, you know, um, depth and detail to the story that you never even imagined Mm -hmm. because they've got, such a clear vision in their heads of, of how it's all going to look. And so, you know, you need to kind of inspire the storytelling, but hopefully get the hell out of the way at the right times too, that you're not trying to stifle the entire process. You know, the artist is your collaborator. They're not, they're not the art robot. You know what I mean? (laughs) They're never going to be able to draw exactly what I envision in my head. But if I've written it well and I've inspired them, they're going to draw something really cool or they're going to put together something that exemplifies those qualities as strongly as possible. I mean, we, when we've spoken to other uh, comics uh, writers, they've they've talked about that variation in the sort of script that is given. And I think it does depend obviously on the artist and what, input they are giving to you about how much information they want but someone like alan moore was famous i think for giving the most detailed panels and every panel had to be drawn in exactly the way he wrote it well there were some artists that i think he trusted more he would write all kinds of stuff and then he'd see the final page and go oh yeah that that works you know what Mm -hmm. i mean that fills the need of what i was talking about and you know it's easy to say well well that's alan moore you know what i mean like (laughs) sure 
but but Alan's also got you know an incredible legacy, and most of the artists that he's getting to work with him are people who their entire careers have been shaped by his stories. Yeah. <clears throat> so if he wants to be a bit more of a control freak, uh, you know, more power to him. Mm. Like, but that's not normal. And so I try and dissuade <laughs> writers and artists, you know, that this is how it's always going to work, that that the writer is some kind of demigod, you know, mm. casting thunderbolts down or some crazy stuff like that. And it, it must be, is it easier on a, on a creator-owned project, though, because you're... Presumably, before you're even pitching that, you've you've got the artist you, that you want to work with, and sure. so you've probably talked it through. And you, it must be an easier process. I would have thought, at least initially, until you've worked with an artist for Marvel or something, and you get to know them. Yeah, I mean, the creator own. You're generally building it. Hopefully, you're building it with the artist right from the ground up. Yeah. So they've got input. They know, you know, what's going on, and or they've designed the characters, or you know, it. I always try and talk to the the art team, you know, on my commercial stuff, but on my creator own, obviously, I know them. It's almost like a creative marriage you're going into on this this creator own book, and so I want them to be happy. I want them to be illustrating stuff that they're passionate about and excited about because we're going to be spending an inordinate amount of time on this together. Mm. Um, so again, it's not just about what I want. It's about us building a cool thing together that everyone on the team is going to be proud of. And as, as well as, as an art, as, as an artist and writer, you're also a professor. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. So I teach at a college called Seneca here in, um, in Toronto and that's in an animation program. So I'm talking, you know, all the time about drawing technique and, and animation history and storytelling. So that's something where you're constantly, you know, interacting with people and building stuff with these students and trying to, you know, teach them best practices, both in terms of communication and quality and output, all that kind of stuff. It just reminds me constantly of the things I want to be a good collaborator. I want to be a good communicator and try and instill those qualities in my students as well. I mean, it's quite a different because we've, we've probably mainly spoken to authors and mm -hmm. obviously that is a much more solitary um, writing process generally, and at least until the sort of stage of getting an editor on board and things like that. Whereas right. it sounds like um, comics is, collaborative pretty much all the time yeah i mean you're coming up it with the idea but... i mean the only difficult part is i mean there's sometimes you're you know on a commercial project where i'm writing a script and i don't know who's going to be drawing it right. you know they haven't they haven't set the artist yet okay. so you're writing this kind of generic thing and you're hoping that whoever they bring on board is going to exemplify it you know what i mean or i've literally worked with some editors where i hand in the script and they're like thanks and then the next thing i see is the finished version mm -hmm. of the book and i'm like oh i guess i'm not involved you know <laughs> and so that's just that's how that editor works and that's their process and and you know uh in some ways it's less hassle because you got paid and you walk away but it's not in my nature to do that so mm -hmm. it feels a little odd at time and what what does uh, so if you're a professor and you're writing comics, both creator yeah. own dad, uh, what what does a typical day look like for you if <laughs> oh, there is no, such a thing? There's no typical day. <laughs> so there's days where 
I mean, a lot of my days currently are really intense, obviously. Um, I'm working uh, pretty intense hours. I, you know, I'll go to the school and I'll teach uh, three to four days a week. And then I'm essentially um, coming home, having dinner with my wife, go up to the studio and I try and put in a few hours writing if possible. Mm. Or in some cases, you're spending the whole evening just responding to emails you missed during the day playing catch up. And then realizing, ah, crap, the whole evening's gone. And all the artists got feedback and all the editors know what's going on. And I don't have my pages done today. Uh, I guess I'm either staying up late or waking up early or finding some other point in my schedule to wedge that stuff in there. So it can be intense. It is essentially two full-time jobs plus conventions and Mm -hmm. promotion and all that kind of stuff. I I mean, it sounds like it is crazy crazy busy but i imagine it's also really rewarding for both both sides of it and is there a part of you that wishes you would you could write full time or 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 do you choose to to be able to write and yeah i mean i could it's been interesting because you know the writing is as a freelancer is something where you're constantly feeling that burn of oh man am i doing enough am i out there enough am Mm -hmm. i visible enough And then, you know, the teaching affords me a certain amount of stability, which can be very advantageous, where a lot of writers kind of, they go through boom and bust periods where people want you and then people aren't paying attention to your work. And I don't have as much of that. I mean, there's some of it, but if I have a slow period, I don't have to worry about is the mortgage going to get paid. Mm -hmm. So in some cases I can turn down smaller projects or I can turn down a project that I don't feel is a good creative fit. And that's, um, that's an advantage. It really is because, you know, it means that when I commit to a project, a, I know I can do it. B, I can bring my best to it. And it's not just a matter of dollar signs in my eyes going, well, that's going to pay the bills. So I'll be whatever you want me to be. (laughs) So it means that in terms of my focus, like, you know, sword and sorcery is doing really well right now. I have a whole slate of those on my schedule and, that's kind of by design. Like, you know, I've picked up particular projects. I've um, worked really hard to get cast on certain titles that I really am passionate about because I feel very strongly about them and I know I can bring something into them and I can leave holes in my schedule for them and and keep kind of pushing yeah. in a way that a full-time writer might not be able to do because they have a slow period and they go like, well, I just got to load up on whatever comes my way mm-hmm. and in 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 the writing process itself do you especially i suppose not so much the creator own stuff but um when you're working for the commercial companies do you send in a script and it disappears into the ether i mean i think it depends on the editor but do you, you, editor. do you go through a lot of drafts i suppose is what i'm asking um, I generally don't anymore. Like ob- early on in my career, I did, mm-hmm. but because the artist is going to be bringing so much of themselves into it anyway, like you know, as long as I've said what needs to be said in terms of the pacing and the plotting and the dialogue, uh, some of that's going to adjust during the the drawing process or the lettering process. So I try not to get too wigged out about sweating the small stuff anymore Mm -hmm. like that's definitely different now but i've written like almost 300 single issues of comics so it's kind of a different process now where i can kind of break a story and know whether it's working i still go through a lot of periods of you know doubt or or 
all those sorts of things that, that we do, you know, mm-hmm. the imposter syndrome and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But when a thing's working, I can kind of settle and go, okay, that's, that's going to work. Or I know the artist is going to bring themselves into it. And I, if I have additional finicking I need to do, it'll happen when the roughs come in rather than, yeah. you know, here on the page, endlessly pining over different options on the exact same material. And how, how is it that you, you go about planning stuff? Or do you do you sit down and plan out a, a whole story from start to finish or the arc? Or do you just kind of roll with it and see where it takes you as, as you go? Yeah, so some writers are what they call, you know, pants writers or flying by the seat mm-hmm. of their pants. And some people are planners. I'm definitely a planner. And I, I don't know if that's just because I came from animation and everything has to be immaculately cl- planned in animation because you're spending so much money and time on every shot. Yeah. So in animation you do something called a storyboard and then you do what's called a like a reel, which is essentially timing that storyboard out to music and a vocal track. You know, a Disney film is essentially pre-edited before they start doing most of the animation because they don't want to spend millions of dollars on these shots and then not use them. They can't just shoot more footage, you know, spontaneously. And so that was that planning process really affected me in a good way where that's kind of how I look at comics is we need to plan this thing out i don't want to waste your time you don't want to waste my time yeah so i'll go in and very immaculately plan out ideally the whole arc of a story or at least the issue that i'm working on and i'll tell you you know this is how many pages it's going to be on this page this major thing's going to happen when we turn the page this thing will be revealed and that's like the big double page spread. And I have that plotted out page Mm -hmm. pacing, if you will, all ready to go before I sit down to do the script. Mm -hmm. 95% of the time. It's very, very rare that I will pants write a story. Um, So when I'm sitting down, I have that story plan in place and I still allow for some spontaneity. It's not like I, I want to choke the creative process out completely, but I find it's easier to have the plan and then in the moment realize, oh, I can do it differently or a little better yeah. than to just go in and grope around and hope I find something. Yeah. And when you're writing these these characters that everyone knows, like a Miles Morales yeah. or something like that, do, is it easy to get the voice of these characters or is, does it just depend on the character? Sometimes. I mean, you know, again, this sort of harkens back almost to Dungeons and Dragons, which is kind of a form of improv and a form mm-hmm. of acting. You are trying to get into the headspace of the character. You're trying to figure out the voice. I do a lot of research reading on characters uh, when I'm working on commercial stuff. So, you know, I'll read as much material as I can for those characters, particularly recent stuff as I can. I'll take notes, pretty extensive notes in terms of their vocal cadence or uh, key phrases or things that they say that seemed really poignant to me or interesting so that I think about them. And, you know, I write down thematic stuff. I'll write down symbolic stuff so that, you know, it's possible when I'm working on them that I can call back to those things or I can contrast those things. That means a lot to me to be able to, particularly stuff that's got that kind of long legacy and continuity. I want to respect the work that other people have done Mm -hmm just as much as I would want them to respect my work. You know, one of the things that can be a little demoralizing is when you put together uh, a story and the next time you see a character, it's like it never happened. Yeah. Yeah, And you're like, man, I I put in the homework. 
why can't you put in the homework? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's part of the job. And yeah. that doesn't mean that every story has equal importance at all times. You know, we can emphasize or de-emphasize certain elements mm-hmm. of the character as they grow and change. But it's to the reader, particularly, you know, superhero comics where the continuity is such a big part of why people enjoy these books and the legacy and the idea that the Marvel Universe is this ongoing, growing and thriving thing. I want to add to that. I want to build on that. And I think we see that even in the in the film side of in the MCU, you know, each film is a connection and the Spider-Man movie came off the end of Endgame and I think if it had been a whole, whole different movie that didn't even acknowledge the events of it, folk would feel a little bit cheated almost, I think. Yeah, I was really surprised when, you know, the, um, uh, uh, you know, the, the new Spider-Man movie talked so much about, you know, half the population of the world mm-hmm. vanishing. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure they were going to, like, just not talk about it because it's way easier Oh yeah, absolutely. to not talk yeah. about it because yeah. it's so difficult. It's such an incredibly crazy story thing to sort of handle. Yeah, and they did it really elegantly, and that's the kind of story problem solving that really impresses me about those films. But but that's that structure of the MCU is it's very much the, the comic structure, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's what comics yeah, have yeah, always done. They've, they've, they've yeah, told I these mean, overarching stories yeah, of yeah. different the characters and they've pulled it all together so the difficulty you know for them is that it, it's an advantage and a disadvantage they they have way less time and way less stories mm-hmm. that they can tell you know we're telling if it's a monthly book you know 12 chapters a month or 12 chapters a year mm-hmm. you know and we're just able to cover so much more material they also have the advantage of being able to draw upon decades and decades worth of stories and kind of cherry pick the stuff that works for them, Yeah, you know, and then adapt it and update it. And whereas we're kind of pioneering a lot of the time, we're trying to find out we're, we're going out into the woods and trying to find new stuff and build new takes on, on, you know, these familiar characters mm-hmm. and themes. And is that something that you would want to do? You think in the future at all, would you like to work on the movie side of stuff? Well, I, it's weird. Cause it's like, in some ways, the movies are the movies, and they don't, that, you know, they'll acknowledge the creators of the comics, but they don't necessarily bring them in to do story development. You know, it seems like it's a bit of a different beast. Just depends on the company, too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, you know, it'd be cool, yeah. obviously, if they some of the materials that you put together, but how and when and how much, you know, that stuff's so up in the air. I try not to worry about it in the same way that. It'd be great if some of my creator-owned stuff was adapted into other mediums, but that's not why I make it. I make yeah. it to be a comic and to tell that story, yeah. and and anything else is sort of icing on the cake. Would you ever want to tell a story, your own story, in a script format, say, or in, in a novel or any other medium that you've not written in before? Yeah, I've talked about potentially doing some prose stuff, and you know, I did a little bit of adventure writing for Dungeons and Dragons recently, and that kind of stuff can be a lot of fun because you're pushing out into a different space and trying to, you know, keep keep your excitement up and and surprise yourself with what you're able to take from it and learn from mm-hmm. it. You know, that you don't know this medium, yeah. and you're you're kind of pushing out into new places. Do you think just obviously the influence that um, Dungeons and Dragons and that the sort of role playing uh, storytelling has had on your whole approach to storytelling. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a danger? Um, I'm going to sound like an old man now. But in, <laughs> um, into you know, 
with kids playing just computer games that that feed them the stories largely a lot of the time, if there is even a story in that, that that aspect, that sort of use of your imagination is 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 not used as much. You know, when 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 I was a kid, even <laughs> back in my back day, in, yeah, back in my day, um, there, you know, you you did, you would end up playing with your toys and telling stories sure. or playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, and there maybe is less opportunity for that now that video games have well, become so large. It's actually fascinating because Dungeons and Dragons is going through a heck of a renaissance right now. The book sales and the community is actually bigger than it's ever been before mm-hmm. because I think people are feeling a need to want to make their own stuff and tell their own stories that that they're feeling stifled by codified, commodified, commercialized storytelling yeah. endlessly shoveled at them. And the ability to sit around a table with your friends and build something unique that didn't exist before is very enticing. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm not worried about people. I think people go through phases of, you know, I like having entertainment shoveled in my face, you know, when I'm feeling tired and lazy and mm-hmm. I just want to be entertained. But I think we all go through phases of wanting more or feeling a need to to be creative. And hopefully that that, you know, I've noticed in this generation, it's just as strong, if not stronger, you know, with them than it was with me. Mm-hmm. They And they have access to so many more communities now, although, you know, online video gaming, could be, you could say that it's a antisocial kind of thing. Those same platforms allow you to set up creative meetups or find collaborators or go to conventions or, you know, communicate with people around the world about your passions. And so it can be just as empowering as it can be you know depowering if you let it you know mm-hmm. yeah totally so so what's next on the on, on the on the agenda for yourself then jim um i've got a bunch of different projects in the hopper some a couple have not been announced but i'm doing a book um an ongoing title at marvel called black panther and the agents of wakanda mm-hmm. and it's sort of like mission impossible by way of jack kirby it's big <laughs> action-packed stuff and uh, the format is a little bit different from your typical ongoing comic story. There are these like missions, uh, and each one is two issues. So we've got set up a cool premise, um, put our characters in danger, give them a cool cliffhanger, and then pay it off the next issue. Right. Next, the uh, next issue after that, another big mission, another cool story. Um, I'm doing a crazy kind of literary meets Marvel crossover called Conan Serpent War. And it's Conan uh, is back at Marvel. Like the, the, um, the character is being published by Marvel again. And so I'm doing a crossover between Conan, the barbarian uh, Solomon Kane, the Robert E. Howard character, dark Agnes, another, you know, Robert E. Howard character and moon Knight, who uh, recently got announced that he's going to have a TV show on Mm -hmm. Disney plus. So it's like, kind of cool pulpy strange sword and sorcery story it's got like time travel and dimensional portals and cool. elder gods and all kinds of funky that's, stuff that's that, quite quite a mashup of random characters together yeah i mean you know robert e howard's kind of imagination was so potent mm-hmm. and taking some of the stuff that is similar about those characters and reflecting on them and putting them into this big epic has been a, a really cool challenge that I'm really excited about and people on our team, we're all responding really excited to as the art comes in. So that launches in December. Um, I'm doing the ongoing uh, Dungeons and Dragons official comic. 
and our newest story is called Infernal Tides, and that launches in November. And I'm um, working with longtime collaborator Max Dunbar, and we just love working together. He's a phenomenal talent, and he's doing the best art of his career on this book, and we're just attached at the hip on it, mm. having an absolute blast. So those are kind of the major ones coming down the pipe for me right now, along with finishing up, you know, kind of current other stuff that I've been doing. I've, uh, my wife and I and a good friend of ours, we're collaborating on these uh, series of books for Random House called the Dungeons and Dragons Young Adventures Guides yeah. that are introducing people to the precepts of tabletop role playing games and, awesome. you know, how to ignite their creativity and that's a real passion project for me that people have responded to really strongly. Well, that's great. Well, it sounds like you've yeah. got a pretty full slate, <laughs> a slate on the go. <laughs> what was the last uh, thing that you read, whether it was a book or a comic? What was the last? Oh, comics. I'm reading comics constantly. <laughs> um, like I said, Marvel sends uh, the continuity writers... Um, every comic that they're publishing. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting somewhere in excess of, you know, 50 or 60 comics a month easily. (laughs) Uh, So every single day uh, when I'm heading to the school and I'm on the subway, I'm usually reading comics, either Marvel books or comics my friends are producing or or stuff like that. So it's a little nuts. so any day of the week you ask me, I've read something different and I'm trying to keep up on either books I like or books that have some tethers to other projects, you know, at Marvel that I'm mm-hmm. working on. So I'm reading, you know, Jason Aaron's Conan the Barbarian issues yeah. because I'm doing Conan stuff right now. So I want to make sure that it feels like the same character and we're playing in the same, you know, playground and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Cool. cool. Uh, what was the last film you saw? Um, in the theaters, or uh, I suppose. I'm trying to think. Um, my my wife and I are watching the the new Dark Crystal series on oh, Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I've not watched that. Yeah, yet. I know that's not a movie, but we're really enjoying that. Uh, I haven't watched the film cool. for years. I remember the film freaked me out a little bit as a kid. The it was the yeah. baddies. I can't remember their names, but they were something about their faces really freaked me out. Yeah, the the um. We rewatched the old movie because we thought that the new series was like a sequel, uh-huh. but it's like a kind of a remake. Oh, like they're, really? they're kind of doing it from the ground up. And the old movie is good, but it's like very on the nose. Mm-hmm. And the new series is has the benefit of, you know, obviously decades of yeah. improvements in technology and storytelling and all this kind of stuff. Plus, because it's a mini series, they can get a lot more into the world building and mm-hmm. nuance and stuff like that, that the movie just didn't have the runtime to do. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing we do is uh, sort of um, either or questions. So we just throw two things at you, a few of them, and you just say the one the one that you prefer or that jumps into your head. So sure. uh, um, Peter Parker or Miles Morales? Well, I mean, Peter Parker, because that's who I grew up on. <laughs> I was a huge Spider-Man, you know, collector when I was a kid. So he's my... My first Spidey. <laughs> I think he's everyone's favourite because he's also a school kid, you know. And I think as a school kid, you kind of, you, he's, he's not some kind of god or whatever. He's actually I, someone that you being be said, I absolutely love Spider Verse. I was oh, so blown away. Spider Verse was fantastic. I yeah. went to the theater and and Dan Slott, who was still writing Amazing Spider-Man at the time, mm-hmm. he's like, "You have to go. You have to go." And I was like, "I'll get to it. I'll check it out eventually." He's like, "Go right now." And I was like, "Well." <laughs> 
And so we saw it that opening weekend and I was absolutely just jaw dropping, you know, how, how stellar it was and how consistent it was and how poignant it was. Yeah. yeah a, no, it was amazing. The imagination yeah. in that film was absolutely fantastic. Just yeah. stunning. Yeah. Uh, Heath Ledger Joker or Joaquin Phoenix Joker? I, I don't give a shit about either. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I don't know. The Joker to me is like a comic book character. I just like, yeah, you know, the Dark Knight's got a pretty cool movie. But the the movie Jokers have always felt like they're trying to be something, I don't know, like edgy, edgelord yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I just, I just means means nothing to me. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, TV or cinema? Um, oh, that's a weird question. Uh, I don't know. I my first thing that came into my head was was movies, just because the scope of it and the you know going to the movies is such a social kind of thing, mm-hmm. and you wind yourself into a hole just endlessly watching TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't watch a lot of TV. I mean, like a lot of people, I tend to watch the streaming stuff. It's it's only when I'm traveling that I'll sometimes turn on the TV in the hotel and like 30 seconds later I go, well, now I know why I don't watch it because <laughs> this is terrible beyond all reason. Exactly. And it just like turns your brain into mush. Uh, last one, Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, I was a Star Wars kid, you know, growing up. My brother was a star, like he was a more of a trekker. He, he was really into next generation. Mm-hmm. And I think almost defiantly I wasn't because it was like, <laughs> that's your thing. Yeah. You know, I, I would watch it later and appreciate it a lot more. I think that Star Trek tells, you know, again, I think the, the TV format allows them to tell a lot more stories, mm-hmm. a lot more nuanced stories and a lot more involved kind of social issue stories that Star Wars doesn't tell. Yeah. But that's more like in hindsight. Yeah. Growing up it was always it was always Star Wars. Who knew Dungeons and Dragons could be such a useful storytelling tool? I know, it's amazing you're you're a kid playing these games and you're using the exact same muscles in the brain that writers use as adults. Yeah, it's a great thing for your imagination. Yeah. Uh, and it's you know, it sets you off on that path. Playing yeah. a game like that it doesn't need to be D&D, but just something that stirs the imagination like that. And I think Jim had a lot of useful tips about yeah. storytelling there. Um, Another big fan of going to, going to conventions. Yeah, definitely. Just like Christopher Golden uh, said, the importance of getting yourself out there, yeah. meeting the people that you want to impress, uh, editors, agents, comic book companies, whoever it is, but also meeting other people in the yeah. community that are yeah. trying to do what you're trying to do so that you can commiserate with them as well. (laughs) You know, it's important to know that you're not the only one trying to do this. Exactly. So much of writing, as you've said before, is sitting in a room alone writing, and it's important to know that there's hundreds of other people doing the exact same thing, and it is, for your mental health, more than anything else, it's it's good to to know that. Yeah, I think that's right. And actually, I suppose in comic writing, as, as Jim said there, the difference maybe is that making a comic or a graphic novel mm-hmm. is more a collaborative process. Although the writer is the one that might describe the scene on paper, yeah. the artist and the inker and the letterer and every, the colorist, everyone brings as much to it to make that yeah. real rather than just the words on the page. So it is definitely a more collaborative process. Yes, the writer is just part of a bigger whole. They're not the 
the god of the entire creation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, thanks again to Jim for coming on, and I hope his voice has recovered from New York <laughs> Comic Con now. Um, who's on next week, Tarek? Next week we have uh, ex SAS international best-selling author Andy McNabb on. Yeah, really exciting. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. really exciting having him on. Uh, Andy was kind enough to speak to us. Andy is the author of many books, but his first book. Bravo Two Zero, the story of an SAS mission which went wrong during the Gulf War, mm-hmm. is still the, I think it's the world best-selling military history novel. I think so. Still. Yeah, my understanding. Yeah, so that's uh, quite an achievement, and he's written many more books since then, fiction, non-fiction. Kids we, books. We chat to him about all of that next week. It, it was really great meeting him, so it's definitely worth tuning in for. Absolutely. If anybody out there would like to get in touch with any questions or comments, please do send us an email, podcast at rightgear.co.uk. Or, of course, you can always send us a tweet, which is at right underscore gear. Yeah, we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Those links are in the bio. Uh, And also in the bio is a link to our website, which sells... Page one, the writer's notebook. Yes, which we've mentioned a couple of times before. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's a notebook we've created to help writers plan and structure their story. And because this month is what's known as Nano Remo, which is National Novel Writing Month, we've got a special offer on in the store where you can get, where all the books are discounted and you can get a further discount uh, if you use the podcast code POD10. You'll get an extra 10% off Double the discount. discount. Double discount. Double discount. So... We'll leave you with a few more words about page one, but we'll see you next week. See you later. Bye. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realise you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.